Departing from there, he went into their synagogue. And a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, asking, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. And he said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the others. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him, and he healed them all and warned them to not tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. Let's pray. Father, what a a passage and what a revelation of your Son. Father, we pray that today as we look at your word that you will help us to understand it. That we will grow in our love for the Lord Jesus. That we will know him and then go proclaim him to the world. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for saving us, all of us who have repented and believed in him. Thank you for your grace. We do pray, Lord, for the mission team in Honduras also right now as they are ministering to those down there. We pray that the truth, the righteousness of Christ will be proclaimed by them and they will live for you and they will help that ministry down there so that more will come to know you. We love you, Father. We commit our day and our time and our time in your word now to you asking for your help. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So today we, Lord willing, will finish this section. Uh, It's been a a great adventure looking at who Christ is and that we should take his yoke and follow him, coming to him and faith and dependence upon him. So what makes a great leader? What makes a great leader? Today we're going to see in our passage... It's the opposite of what the world often follows after and embraces. Jesus is a leader like the world has never seen before or since his first advent. 
Last week we traced the three main characters Jesus had introduced uh, that were introduced in his invitation to exchange his yoke of, for the, of the law for his own yoke. Remember, we saw that invitation back in verses 25 through 30 where he praised the Father and then called them to come and take his yoke. Today we're going to see King Jesus demonstrates and reveals why he's the one that we should put our hope in, why he's the one that we should trust in, and why he's the one that we should depend upon. We covered last week one of the first illustrations that he used of giving up the yoke of the law for his yoke, and the illustration was the first Sabbath uh, uh confrontation from the Pharisees found in verses 1 to 8. Remember, it was some circumstances that helped to illuminate the idea that we should turn from trying to keep the law in order to earn God's favor to Christ, to depend on Him and trust in Him because He's the one that gives us rest. Boy, wasn't that song, 405, it applies perfectly to this. Not what I do can save us, not my cleansing, not my abilities, not how good I look, not any of these things will get me to you. It is Christ alone, His righteousness, His death on our account, His resurrection. It's His yoke. He took my yoke. He took my burden. Isn't that a great song? That's why I told Stephen, sing it again this week. We sang it last week. Do you remember? That's one to put to, to memory. It's the truth of what he's talking about in this passage. And then we saw that illuminating circumstance in verses 1 to 8. Remember, we traced those main characters and saw that there was the wise and the intelligent. Remember, said with tongue in cheek. They weren't really wise and intelligent. They were the wise and intelligent of their day. The ones that thought they were wise and intelligent. Right? It was like the Pharisees thought they were also what? He thought they were righteous. That's why he says, I did not come to save the righteous. But the sinner, the sick, the lost, the dying. Was he, was he saying that the Pharisees were really righteous? No, I think there's a, a, a gentle sarcasm there. Where he says, wait, wait, wait. You think you're righteous. You think you're wise. You think you're intelligent. And the world qualifies you as righteous and wise and intelligent. But you're really not. And so we traced through and saw the wise and the intelligent. How he confronted them. He confronted them with asking them, did you read your Bible, in a sense? (laughs) Have you read your Bible? Do you understand what the law really says? And he confronts them. The second characters were the innocent learners. These were the disciples who were following. Jesus called them innocent. Even though they weren't perfect, they were innocent because in that event where they were eating the grain, that was not, they were not breaking the law by doing that, but they were also innocent in that they had been declared right because they had believed in him. As Jesus will reference when he washes their feet, they're clean. Why are they clean? Because they put their faith in him. They've been declared right by him. And they were there. They were the innocent learners. They were following him and they were listening to him and they were obeying him. And last we looked at the sovereign himself, the sovereign himself, the last character. So we saw the wise and intelligent, the innocent learners, 
and the sovereign himself. That's Jesus. And we saw that he, he was a teacher and he was the expositor of the law. He explained the law perfectly. He applied the law properly. He showed and announced his lordship over the Sabbath. Jesus used the Pharisees' accusation to rebuke the so-called wise and intelligent of his day. Jesus responded by confronting their wrong interpretation of the law and setting the record straight. At the same time, Jesus revealed he is the sovereign over all interpretations and applications of the Sabbath. And he desired commitment to him over all man-made regulations. Follow me, not man-made traditions. That's what he was saying. Take my yoke. It was just another illustration. I am Lord of the Sabbath. Submit to me because I'm the one that's sovereign. He was calling for people to believe in him and then rest in him. Not be burdened by the man-made distortions of the law where they use the Sabbath to burden the people. The second illustration we're going to look at today is in verses 9 to 16. Look at it. The second illuminating circumstances. Verse 9, again, departing from there, he went into their synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned him, asking, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? And they said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored to normal, like the other hand. Not the others, as I said the first time I read. One other hand. Again, who are the primary characters? You have the so-called wise. You have the innocent learners. And you have the sovereign. Let's look at it again and trace down through these. The wise and intelligent. Once again, the religious legalists sought an opportunity to do what? To trap Jesus. And to bring a charge against him. Those in the synagogue that Jesus entered sought to ensnare Jesus in a Sabbath violation. Their religious traditions, their man-made traditions, had established that helping people on the Sabbath was actually off-limits if there, it wasn't a life-and-death situation. You couldn't do any kind of work. You couldn't help anybody. Don't put a bandage on that sore because it's not life or death. If a health issue was not life-threatening, it's okay. Just wait until tomorrow when the Sabbath is over. But these were arbitrary, man-made rules meant to elevate who? The ones who made the laws, the man-made requirements. So when Jesus was in the synagogue, they knew it, they understood it. There was a man with a withered hand and they knew that he was doing miracles. Let's see if we can trap this guy. Let's get this guy to break the law. But was he breaking the law anyway? That's what Jesus was going to show. See, the problem is is that they had taken and borrowed from the law and made their own God. They had made a God that accepted them by what they do. 
And so therefore they had added extra laws and laws to make it about how clean I could get myself for God to accept me. And that was the same with even how you helped people on the Sabbath or what you did on the Sabbath. Notice, they sought an opportunity to spring a trap on Jesus. And they questioned Jesus asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They asked that question. Notice the purpose is given in the verse so that they might accuse him. It's very interesting to me. He was, they were asking this question. They were setting him up in order to fall. What is this? Well, this is self-righteousness on display. (laughs) This is what self-righteousness does. When it thinks high of itself and thinks, oh, I've got a way I can trap this guy to make him look less than me look good, let me spring a trap or set a trap for him. Beloved, we need to understand that these, this is the heart we're born with. That often we think this way. We can think this way. Let me set a trap to see if this sinner really is a sinner. And if they're going to fall and then I can show them where they're wrong. Be careful. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They just wanted to accuse him. Their purpose was clear. They wanted to have something against him. So that they could bring a charge against him. So that they could condemn him. So that they could get rid of him. Because they did not want him. But Jesus wasn't interested in the unrighteous interpretation of the application of the law, was he? They ask a question. And he confronts them with a question. Now, this is very interesting. I love how Jesus does this. He asks questions for their questions. (laughs) He asks questions to show them the error, the folly of their thinking. He does this exactly as Proverbs 26. We talked about in apologetics today. Don't answer a fool according to his folly or you will become like him. But answer a fool according to his folly so that he will be shown the error of his ways. That's what he's doing here. He's going to ask a question that will show the error of their ways. It will show the folliness or the foolishness of their way. Notice what he says to them. He said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? What was that? It was a question. He knew their traditions. He knew the errors of their traditions. He knew the way that they had twisted the law. And he says, see, they had arranged for it that their animals, if their animals fell in there, they could get it because, after all, it would hurt them. So they had changed their laws or made their traditions so that they could do what? Take care of themselves. The Pharisee could walk around and take care of his sheep, but don't take care of a person. Why? Because that would be work. And Jesus does what? He asks the very question that exposes them and exposes the folly of their thinking. And what happens? Ultimately, they were silenced. They couldn't say, think about it. They couldn't answer the question. If they answer the question, what do they do? They fail. How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then it it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. His point is this. Look, if you answer the question that the sheep 
is more valuable than the man, then you have a problem with the image of God that man is made in. You've got it backwards. He showed them and silenced them. They couldn't publicly admit they believed in helping sheep over humans, could they? No way, they couldn't. So they were stuck. By the way, a side note here, by implication, this is the insanity of the so-called intelligent in our society too. This is exactly what happens. A person will go to jail for killing various animals, but he or she will be praised if he kills an unborn child. Insanity. We call what is right wrong and what is wrong right. And then you are condemned if you call what is wrong really wrong. You must say it's right. Otherwise, you're evil. Which is exactly what the Pharisees were doing. Who's the Pharisee in our society? Arguably, it's the morality of the secularist. It's the morality of the secularist. The morality of the one that thinks what is right in their eyes is what's right, when it's really not. But this is the foolishness of the heart of man. But Jesus very gently, but directly, confronts them, doesn't he? And shows them the error of the way. But listen, beloved. We too must be careful not to fall into that same trap of self-righteousness. You know, at times when we're going through this, you might say, well, why do I always do this little caveats? Why do I always do these? Well, because I know my heart. And I know when I'm going through passages like that, that I can just start doing this over and over and over again. Boy, before you find, before you do, you will find yourself like we, Mark talked about just a couple weeks ago, like Martin Luther. Remember Martin Luther, the guy that we looked oh, and uphold because he's a reformer that came up with these amazing truths, or not came up, but exposed what the Scripture says about justification by faith alone. I'm thankful for him. What aren't you? But he also demonstrated that he had anti-Semitism. And said and accused the Jews of being the Jew killers. How does that happen? How does that happen? Answer, reading through scripture like this and only applying it from a positive direction to yourself. That's how that happens. When we read a passage like this and say, I'm not the Pharisee. I'm with Jesus, an innocent learner. Careful. We all could fall into it, can't we? Everybody in the room, all of us, including me. The moment that I think that I'm not the one that could fall is the moment that I'm there. The biblical wise are those who fear God. Fear God. Are humble. And recognize that all that I am, any good that I am, is because of God. And apart from him, I can do nothing. The truly wise are those who are humble learners. 
The wise are those who come to Jesus and take His yoke and learn from Him. The wise understand the role the law plays or played in the Old Testament. How it revealed the sinfulness of mankind and their, and their need of a Savior. And realize that that same law of what? Exposes us and our own need of a Savior. How it was a guide for Israel to help them in their allegiance to God. We know the law was used that way and God used that to help direct them in their, in their theocratic nation that he had established then. But was it perfect? By no means. But how we are now under the new covenant and we are under the law of Christ and the law of love, right? And we've taken his yoke and his yoke was, is light and easy because of the grace of God that works within us. And we love God, don't we? We love him because of him first loving us. And we know that he loves us so therefore we want to love other people. And we take his yoke. And by grace we... Bear up under his yoke. Even when that yoke seems to be big, it's not because God is big and Christ is our Savior and we have him. But the Pharisees went out, notice it says, and conspired against him. They were confronted and they conspired. Ooh, hint, 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 hint. Listen closely. When confronted... Your response reveals your heart. When confronted with self-righteousness, if you conspire to destroy the one that confronted you, there's a problem. When confronted, what should we do? Take it in. What if they're wrong? Take it in. Did Jesus... Yeah, he did. He accepted it and walked, trusting in the Father and his will for him. Notice, however, there were some who got it, understood it. Some who embraced Jesus and his yoke and found rest for their soul. It's the innocent learners. The innocent learners. Now, I admit, we're... Not told whether the man with the withered hand became a follower. I wonder if he did. I have no idea. Not from this passage at least, right? But we know that there was a remnant. How do we know? Because at the end of the passage, the end of the little section, we see that many followed him and he healed them all. So they did come after him. They got it. They understood it. They saw that he was the one to follow and obey. Why? Because he was the sovereign. He revealed himself as the sovereign. Jesus proved his authority again on the Sabbath as he healed the man. Notice how the healing took place. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and it was restored to normal like the others. What does this mean? This means Jesus heals. Can heal. He can take somebody that has a hand that does not work and make it what? Work. Was it a medical procedure that he did on them? No. He spoke and it happened. Stretch out your hand. 
Can you imagine many, anybody that's a doctor or a nurse in the room? Can you imagine how great that would be if all you had to do is say, stretch out your hand. You're fixed. It doesn't work that way, does it? That's called supernatural miracles. <laughs> Jesus is sovereign over every illness, disease, sickness, everything that happens. I often think, well, does this mean that he could heal everybody? Well, if you're asking me, could he? The answer would be, sure, absolutely. He could heal everybody in a second. All he has to do is speak, and everybody on the whole earth would be healed at the same exact time. By the way, do you think that there were any other people with withered hands that lived on the earth at the point that he healed this person? Why this person? Not those people. Well, some of it was his context. He was in Israel doing what? Showing who he was. That he was the Messiah. He was the sovereign. He was the one that people should believe in. So what does he do? He heals people that were his people to show that he was their Messiah. Does that mean that he doesn't love the other people that he didn't heal? No. No, 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 no. But it's ultimately not all about healing, is it? It's about Him. It's about Him. It's about Him being the one that we should take His yoke and follow Him. And come after Him. That's the point. It's about Him. Again. We say it again, we say it again, we say it again. What is the purpose? It's about Christ exalting Him. So we will follow Him and we will abide in Him whether He heals us or not. Right? Notice also Jesus showed He was sovereign over who He revealed Himself to. Now This is very interesting. In the room, some of you might in the room be thinking, man, I sure have some healing that could happen. That would be nice if He'd do that. I sure wish He'd fix it. Maybe Darren's going there. Man, I wish my foot would get better. Lord, do it now. But you know, I really want him to do the second thing that he showed you was sovereign over more than the healing. And I think Darren does too. And Paige and Tyson also. Sure of it. Notice. Look. The Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him, and he healed them all and warned them not to tell who he was. What? Let that sit for a second. Warned them not to tell who he was. What is this? This is showing Jesus is sovereign who he reveals himself to. Jesus is in control of who he wants to know who he is. And thankfully, he revealed himself to these people. Of who he was. They knew it. 
They knew who he was, that he was the Messiah. He was the Christ. Matthew was one of them watching the one who's writing this gospel. He knew who he was. He saw the miracles, and he understood that he was the one. But not everybody got that. Not everybody got that. See, there's two kinds of healings, aren't there, in the Bible? There's the healing of what? Physical abnormalities. And then there's the healing of what? Our spiritual souls that need to know God and need to abide in Him and need to trust in Him and need to find our joy and hope in Him. And God is sovereign over who that is that receives that truth. So if you're here today and you're not healed but you know Jesus, you should do what? Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! God is good. He's shown himself to me. I don't deserve that. He's a kind God, isn't he? A loving Savior. Friends, we see here Jesus should be the primary object of our attention. It isn't law-keeping for justification. By the way, the ones that were working their way to God and opposing Jesus were the ones that were kept from knowing him. The ones who were prideful and thought that I'm good and I'm righteous and I'm wise and I'm intelligent. They were kept from knowing the truth. Why? I think ultimately it's judgment. Ultimately God is judging them. But aren't we all to a degree like the Pharisees? Yeah. So why did he open our eyes? Why have we fallen on our face and realized that we can't do it and we can't be good enough? The answer is grace. God's amazing grace. What a good Savior who is sovereign over who knows him and who does not. He keeps some and he shows some. He reveals himself to some. And he does in others. Are you okay with that? I hope so. Because God is God and we are not. We have to trust him. The illustration seen is then explain, or just to explain it is this. Jesus, once again, was questioned by the wise and the intelligent. In order to trap him, However, he responded by rebuking their wrong interpretation of the law. And setting the record straight, he healed a man. At the same time, Jesus revealed who he is by healing the man, saying, in a sense, I'm the Messiah of Israel to his chosen ones. And they followed him. And he continued to reveal himself to them and show more of himself to him. But began to keep the proud from knowing him. Just a side note on this evangelism, just to evangelize, be careful. We say we want to do it just like the master did it. <laughs> be careful because he has a discernment here because he's God that we don't necessarily have, do we? Should we keep the, should we keep the gospel from a proud person in our life? Uh, be careful. Be careful, because guess who the proud person 
is ultimately. Ourselves. Sure don't want to keep the gospel for me. We should be sharing the gospel with everybody. That's why we have to be very careful when we make applications from a passage, right? Oh, this person's too proud. I'm not going to give them the gospel today. They're self-righteous. If we said that, we'd be being self-righteous, wouldn't we? Possibly. Only Jesus can say this and do this because he is what? Sovereign. (laughs) He's the Lord. We're just people in need of a Savior. Then the author of this gospel, Matthew, takes and points to Jesus and shows that all of this, all of this work, and how God was revealing himself in the Messiah was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Yep, this is the Messiah of Israel. The one who was prophesied by Isaiah in Isaiah 42. In light of this previous illustration, Matthew then gives the big idea of this section and arguably the whole book of Matthew and the largest section quoted from the Old Testament in the book of Matthew right here. Matthew gives this as, uh, okay, here it is. This is the point of the whole section and arguably the whole book. Jesus is the promised Messiah of Israel. He's the fulfillment of it. Matthew says in effect, this is Jesus the Messiah who the prophet Isaiah prophesied about. Believe in Him. Go to Him. Take His yoke. Trust in Him. He is where we find our hope. So let's look at the passage. The big idea, verse 17. Notice this beautiful quote from Isaiah 42. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off. A smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory and in his name the Gentiles will hope. What is this? This is a quote from the Old Testament. Very interesting. It's not a word-for-word quote. And what do I mean by that? Why isn't it a word-for-word quote? Well, because ultimately Isaiah is applying it to Jesus. So there might be a little bit of changes. But it's, he's saying, this is the one. This is the one. And shows even further application as we go along. You'll see it. So let's look at this passage. It's a beautiful passage. You want a passage that describes who Jesus is? Here it is. And Matthew says that what you saw, what we have read, what Jesus had said, shows that he's the fulfillment of this. So let's look. Let's look at the Messiah. This is Jesus. Notice, Jesus is the prophesied servant. Jesus is the prophesied servant. This was to fulfill what's spoken through the prophet. Behold, my servant. Whom I have chosen. 
Jesus is the one that was promised beforehand by Isaiah. You say, well, what's the big deal? Well, here's the big deal. This was done 700 years before. 700 years previously, Isaiah talked about Jesus, talked about the one that was coming. Is that a big deal? Oh, yeah, that's a big deal. That means that God revealed what was going to happen through Isaiah the prophet, what? 700 years before it happened. I can't tell you what's going to happen in five minutes, much less 700 years from now. Right? Can you? You say, well, I'm, I'm pretty good at kind of predicting things. I get it right 75% of the time. I can see when my kid's making a mistake and he's about to fall in the ditch. Well, that would be called wisdom. That's not prophecy. This is prophecy. Perfect prophecy. God saying, this is who my servant is, and then him coming and showing himself. This was one of the servant songs Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 50, and then Isaiah 52, 53. Y'all know the servant song, Isaiah 53. Most of you know that one, right? Well, this was the first of the four. Notice Jesus is Yahweh's chosen servant, his chosen servant. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, the one that the Father had picked. This was God's predetermined plan for Jesus to be the one. When was Jesus predetermined to be the chosen Messiah for Israel? Answer, before the world began. Before the world began, Jesus was ordained by God to be that one, the chosen one. And it's very interesting. Do you see how this passage being the fulfilled, it fits perfectly with Matthew eleven twenty seven? In Matthew eleven twenty seven, to kind of bookend it, Jesus has just said, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So what is that? Well, the Father and the Son know each other from ever. They know each other. They know the plan. It's all predetermined. It's a plan that God has established. He's the chosen servant. He's the one. Do you see why Matthew would go, yeah, this applies. Let me put this in, Matthew. Because it fits perfect. Jesus is Yahweh's, that's his name, by the way. God's name, Yahweh, I am who I am, Yahweh, chosen servant. And then third, Jesus is Yahweh's loved one, his loved one. Notice it says, my beloved, the one loved by the Father, perfectly, always, unhindered. Jesus is loved by the Father has been loved by the Father, has always been loved by the Father. The Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have always loved each other. Perfect love, always, forever. Outside of time, actually. That's who they are. They love the three members of the Trinity. And Jesus is Yahweh's greatest pleasure. I love this. Look at this. 
my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. My loved one in whom my soul is well pleased. I can honestly say that that does not always describe me. (laughs) I know I don't always please my heavenly father all the time. But Jesus was always well-pleasing, always well-pleasing to the Father. He is the Father's greatest delight. The Father loves the Son, and the Father is pleased with the Son. You say, well, Mike, these are great truths, wonderful things, but how does that apply to me? Well, let me ask you a question. If the Father is pleased always with the Son... And he always loves the son. Don't you think we should be pleased with the son? Shouldn't be he be our greatest delight and our greatest pleasure? Absolutely. I love this song. How many of you? I'm not going to make you raise your hands. I'm trying to cut back on the raising the hands thing. But how many of you have heard this song, The Pleasures of the King? It's a Steve Green song. I just dated myself. I love that artist, The Pleasures of the King. The artist has three verses in the song where he lays out what brings God pleasure. What brings God, the king, pleasure? He talks about creation. It pleases him. You know, we walk around, we see creation, we go, wow, this I can see God. Man, this is nice. Then he talks about his children and how his children when they're caring and they're loving and they're being kind. And and he talks about seeing reconciled relationships. That pleases God when we get along and we love each other and we care for each other. That brings joy and pleasure to the king. But then he ends with this, and it's beautiful. Let me just read it. But of all his regal pleasures, one does stand above the rest. The son he gave to serve and save in perfect holiness. Existing pure and faultless embodiment of truth. Guardian of righteousness with name beyond reproof. His words uphold the universe in love unwavering. Jesus, the treasure of the king. Jesus, the pleasure of the king. Truth. Who makes the Father pleased? Always. Jesus. You ask me who my favorite subject is? The one who pleases the Father the most. He's the treasure of God. The pleasure of God. He's the one we should be following, right? To follow him, to take his yoke is light because he's that good, because he's that delightful. Let me ask you a question. I know this is just go right at you. What is your greatest delight today? What is your greatest pleasure? What brings you the most joy and satisfaction? I hope it's Christ Jesus, our Lord.
because everything else pales in comparison, right? Only the Son is well-pleasing even to the Father always. Notice also Jesus was indwelt with the Spirit. Indwelt with the Spirit. I will put my Spirit upon him. This will be important next week when we begin to talk about Jesus more and about the Spirit's work through Jesus. Remember, Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. And in his humanity, he was indwelt by the Spirit. I don't know and can't unfold all those deep, mysterious things about the Trinity. I'm sorry, I can't figure it all out. I can just tell you, God, Jesus is God and man, and the Spirit of God indwelt Jesus. Okay? Got it? That's what it says. He will put my Spirit upon him when he becomes incarnate. The incarnate Son of Man was indwelt by the Spirit of God. And Jesus proclaims justice to the Gentiles. This is a very important passage. And I I grapple with it a little bit this week, just thinking through this. So what does this mean? And he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. What does he mean? Does does this mean that Jesus became the social justice warrior of his day? Is that what Jesus is and was? And is this what this passage is talking about? I honestly do not believe that that's what this passage is talking about. I think he's talking about the justice that comes, the righteousness that comes through salvation to the Gentiles through faith in him. I don't think he's talking about whether or not Feeding the poor or taking care of the widow and those, those, those are good things. I don't think he was going on to a social justice rant here. I think he is the fulfillment of the only way that we can be called righteous. It's through faith in him. That's the point of the passage. If we make it about that he cleaned up this world and made it this way, then wouldn't we be doing the very thing that the passage speaks against? Because the passage is speaking ultimately against what? Phariseeism. Cleaning up the outside of the cup. That's not what this passage is about. This passage is about that Jesus is the way that we can be right with God. That justice can come... Righteousness can come to even the Gentiles. Through their rejection of the Messiah, we can now be declared right through faith in Him. That's the point. And He shall proclaim this. And this is what we're proclaiming here. And I want you to know, anybody in this room that's not right with God, there's a way you can be right with God, and His name is Jesus. Through faith in Him. That's the point. So I'm a proclaiming what? Justice to the Gentiles. That's what I think the point is here. And that's what He did through coming into the world. Jesus is humble, though. Look at this. This is startling. Startling truth. Look at this. Again, a leader like no leader has ever been. Have you, I mean, y'all are all, and I am not speaking about a party or a person or anything. I'm talking generally, okay? I'm general. Don't, I'm not getting into politics. 
but have you ever noticed how every politician's favorite person is who? Themselves. They're always what? Bragging about themselves. Some of it's the nature of the whole thing. Because what? Humanity loves people that what? Think high of themselves. Because we want a leader that will what? Lead. And be bold. Not be afraid. Right? But isn't it interesting? Look at Jesus. There is nobody that's walked on this planet that looks like this. Not even us, if we're honest. Right? Look at this. He's humble. He will not quarrel, nor cry out. Nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. Well, how's he going to win? How's everybody going to like him? He didn't hold a sign for himself. There were no signs saying, vote for. Was there ever? And he didn't quarrel. He didn't argue. He didn't cry out. This is shocking. I was listening to the homeschoolers. They were talking about how the Roman emperors, a couple of the Roman emperors, had gotten to power. And one of the ways they got to power was by being humble. Yeah, literally. There were some Caesars, you know, that got there as emperors by being humble. Because the people looked at him and said, man, I like that kind of leader. He's humble. No, I can't wear a crown. I won't wear a crown. But what is that? That's actually false humility. That's using humility to what? Better yourself. Jesus never did that. It's still wrong, isn't it? If you if you say, oh, you're so much better than me. It could be you trying to elevate yourself. Do you get that? Is that always? Not always. Not always. Listen, not always. Your heart might be submissive and you might be in, what? Being humble. But Jesus didn't have to debate. Well, I think, yeah, I think I'm going to manipulate him a little bit with my humility here. Because it was his nature to be humble always. This is who I want to follow. How about you? This is who I want to serve. A humble king. That doesn't quarrel or cry out. He's also very gentle. Look at that. A battered reed he will not break off. A smoldering wick he will not put out. What's a reed? A reed is... An instrument that they, the shepherds would awfully use and they would kind of blow on it and stuff until it got a little bit wet and then it would kind of be yuck and they'd break it off and have an, another piece that they could go ahead and play or two or whatever. Jesus doesn't even do that. Most insignificant thing that was useless. 
Most people would consider that battered reed. What? Garbage. Just throw it away. Or that wick that was just about to run out. You know what I'm talking about. When the wick's right down there and it's starting to smolder. And it's really what? Just useless. It's like me and my wife's debate over the soap. When the soap gets down to about this size, it's really thin. And I'm sitting there and you grab the soap and and you're like, just give me a bar of soap. That's a useless piece of soap. Throw in the trash. I'm the soap changer now. (laughs) The useless piece of soap he would not get rid of. The smoldering wick he will not get rid of. Who's the smoldering wick? Who's the battered reed? That's us. Us. The useless ones. The broken ones. The hurting ones. The ones that are aching over their sin and crushed by the burden of the law and they just need hope. He's gentle to us. And finally, Jesus is where hope is found. It fits, doesn't it? Until he leads justice to victory. Again, through his death on the cross, resurrection. Justice is brought to victory. You can be right with God. And there's hope for even us Gentiles. Confident expectation in who? In him, in his name. Not in us, but in Him. How many of you are ready to come to Him and take His yoke and follow Him and learn from Him? I am. I want to follow Him. How about you? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Christ Jesus, our Lord. <sighs> Lord, we are... We are broken and weary and burdened people. People that need you and constantly fall down and constantly sin and constantly blow it and constantly see our needs. Some of us in the room are hurting and physically hurting and emotionally hurting and spiritually hurting and they're, they're just at the end of themselves, Lord. I know there's some in this room that just are hurting really, really bad. And God, I just beg you now that you will show them Jesus. Help them to see that he loves them. Help them to humbly cry out to you and then abide in Christ. Help us, Father, see the glory of the Son and to bask in him. May your name be exalted in our lives as we follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name.